So why do you work? Sure, you want to get a paycheck. Obviously, we all do. But there's something more to it than that, or at least there should be, right? Hi, friends. Welcome to the Press Club C Podcast. I'm Ray Keating. In this 119th episode, I'm going to explore, think about the question of why as it pertains to work. Specifically, why does why do each of us do what we do? I can only answer for my own choices, but there are overarching principles or beliefs at work, if you will, or there should be, hopefully. First, a quick reminder on what the Press Club C actually is. Each letter stands for stuff we talk about during various episodes. P is for politics. R is for religion, mainly Christianity. E is for economics. S is for sports. That second S is for stories, books and writing, my own books, other books, fiction, nonfiction, and so on. C is for culture, pop culture and otherwise. L, the big catch-all for life. U is for understanding, lessons, for example, in history and economics. B is for business and entrepreneurship. And then last C in Press Club C is for conservative. Why? Because I am one. And as I've said over and over again, we have to be very clear these days, <laughs> crystal clear, as to what conservatism means and what kind of conservative you are. I'm a Reagan, Kemp, Buckley, Coolidge, Lincoln, Madisonian kind of conservative. So the why of work, you know, I've done a, a variety of things in my own life. Um, but by now at this point, um, uh, the big three, as I call them, uh, career wise for me, at least are, uh, being an economist, uh, being a columnist slash commentator and being a novelist. Those are the big three things in my life. I've been blessed and fortunate to be able to do those three things. But so what got me thinking about this idea of, you know, putting the question why to this? Um, I've, I've always been big on the idea of uh, vocation, your work as being a vocation. Uh, and it got a couple of people that I've been reading lately got me thinking about it again. And I thought it'd be worth maybe sharing some of this with you guys. Um, so I was reading uh, Bishop Robert Barron's book, The Strangest Way, Walking the Christian Path. And uh, I was fascinated by his take on uh, the conflict between Mary and Martha in, uh, in Luke 10. So he's got a long paragraph here, but I think it's well worth reading. Uh, it certainly got me thinking. Uh, in a different way about this, and then kind of leading into um, our own lives. So here's here's uh, from Bishop Barron. The familiar story of the conflict between Martha and Mary, Luke 10, verses 38 to 42, has often been interpreted as an account of the play between the active and the contemplative life, Jesus signaling his preference for the latter over the former. But I don't think that reading gets to the heart of it. It is rather a narrative concerning the spiritual problem of the one and the many. Martha complains that her sister is not helping her with the numerous and time-consuming tasks of hospitality and tells Jesus to do something about it. The Lord responds, quote, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her, close quote. Martha's problem is not that she is busy or that she is engaging in the active life. 
Her problem is that she is uncentered. Her mind, quite obviously, is divided, drifting from this concern to that, from one anxiety to another. There are many things that preoccupy her. What Mary has chosen is not so much the contemplative life, but the focused life. She is anchored, rooted in the unum necessarium, as the Vulgate renders this passage. The implication seems to be that were Mary to help with the many household tasks, she would not be, quote, worried and distracted, close quote, by them, since she could relate them to the center, and that were Martha to sit at the feet of Jesus, she would still squirm with impatience, since her spirit is divided. And is so often, as is so often the case in the spiritual life, the issue is not what they're doing, but how they're doing it. Indeed, the surest sign that something is off in Martha's soul is that she even tells God what to do. <laughs> um, that's a fascinating um, take, I think, on uh, on Martha and Mary. That um, it's it's a matter of focus and what you're focused on. It's not that you're being you're too busy or this or that. It's what are you focused? What? Why do you do what you do? Um, which got me thinking again about about what we all do, why why we do what we do. So I turned again. Uh, I always love reading Gene Edward Veith. Um, his book God at Work is wonderful, and uh, he talks obviously when you talk about God at Work, um, we're talking vocation here. And in fact, the subtitle uh, is. Uh, your Christian vocation in all of life. <clears throat> so I want to read a few excerpts here as well, because this ties in nicely. So Veith writes, a Christian and a non-Christian may labor side by side in the same job, and on the surface they are doing exactly the same thing. But work that is done in faith has a different significance than work that is done in unbelief. The doctrine of vocation helps Christians see the ordinary labors of life to be charged with meaning. It also helps put their work into perspective, seeing that their work is not saving them, but they, that they are resting in the grace of God, who in turn works through their labors to love and serve their neighbors. What a great, uh, what a great way to put it. I'm going to touch on two more excerpts here um, from Gene Veith. Here we go again. Christians are engaged in the world by carrying out their vocations. This is how they can be a positive influence in the culture. Christian actors, musicians, and artists can be salt and light in a realm that is often tasteless and dark. This is why we need Christians in law, politics, science, journalism, education, academia, and all the other culture-making professions. Um, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Uh, which I'll talk about in a minute. Um, and then let's let's finish this out <clears throat> because it goes beyond such professions, right? So here's Veith. Here's a final uh, couple of paragraphs that I want to read from Gene Veith. Actually, it's more than a couple. Subordinates must do their work as instructed by their superiors. In doing so, they find themselves serving Christ and serving their boss. Fascinating, right? That was my comment. <laughs> uh, Veith continues, bosses in turn must make their employees do the work that do the work they are supposed to do, 
But in the way they treat them, they must remember their own accountability to Christ. Since a particular person may be both a master and a servant at the same time, exercising authority over certain subordinates while answering to the next level of the corporate chart, both injunctions will apply every day. In the exercise we began this book with, reflecting how God uses farmers to give us this day our daily bread, it is clearly evident how God works through human labor. According to Luther's famous saying, God himself milks the cows through the vocation of the milkmaid. Ironically, it is sometimes easier to see how God provides through lowly occupations than through those with more status. It is easier to see how God blesses the world through farmers and milkmaids than through Madison Avenue advertising executives or Hollywood movie stars. Though in the eyes of the world, the latter are considered much better jobs. Still, most lawful occupations do give service to others. If someone is willing to pay for a product or a service, they must consider themselves benefiting from it. Companies need advertisers to help them become successful, and Hollywood movie stars can offer innocent pleasures for millions. These are worthy vocations. But no one should be ashamed of being called to a vocation through which God blesses people in more tangible ways, waiting on tables, digging foundations, hauling away garbage. Nor should those of us who are blessed by God through these vocations look down upon them. This is good stuff, right? And 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 uh, Veith takes us into um, more of the, you know, the hands-on, if you will, the nitty-gritty of of vocations as a Christian. And I hopefully, you know, what Baron wrote, uh, what Veith wrote, uh, certainly got me thinking, and hopefully, maybe it'll get you thinking as well. I mean. You know, when I think about these big three things in my life, you want to, as I refer to them, in terms of what I do for a living, or what I've done, um, you know, people say, why do you become, why'd you become an economist? I get that question a lot. Um, and I think people that don't know the profession or don't know many economists, I mean, they think of, <clears throat> you know, numbers, cold calculations, perhaps serving an indifferent market or government. Maybe they even think of greed. Um, but no, I would counter, no, no, no. Um, and that's not what I've come across um, amongst others as well. Um, instead, what, what drove me to become an economist was the desire to figure out, to, to figure out first off, how can I help others um, by being an economist? So when I first... Uh, was taught. I was very fortunate in terms of the professors I had in college who taught economics. Um, they they went beyond, you know, the pure statistics and regression models and things like that to a deeper understanding of what economics is um, in terms of human decision-making and so on and all the things that come into play there. But when I came to understand how um, various economic systems worked, uh, that really got me excited about becoming an economist because I saw it as a way to help people. How can um, I contribute to creating the best foundations upon which, um, you know, a country, a society, but individuals uh, can advance. Um, and it's not, you know, my advocacy for free enterprise is not rooted in greed in any, in any way, shape or form. I think people that misunderstand, free enterprise assume that, but it's actually very much 
more towards altruism, right? You have to think of others if you want to exceed, succeed yourself, right? Um, greed is, is I've often said greed is, is getting something for nothing, right? Taking it from others. Um, but in free enterprise system, you have to, in order to achieve true success, lasting success, you have to think of what others need and want, or perhaps create a new demand in the marketplace as an entrepreneur, for example, an innovator. And, and by doing all of this, um, we've seen what free enterprise has done in terms of wealth creation and the reduction of poverty. That's a good thing. Um, and that's really why I became an economist, uh, and continue have still to this very day, continue working in the economics field. Newspaper columnist. I was a newspaper columnist for more than 20 years, and I still continue to write uh, commentary and columns and, you know, op-eds and things like that. Uh, much the same, right? It, I never got into it. You know, I wrote a lot on, I've written a lot on politics, certainly on economics, public policy. Um, I never wrote any of that um, in the worst sense of how people think about it, right? Scoring political points, cheap shots, you know, that type of thing. So much of what our politics has become today. Ugh. Um, but that's not way I went about it. I certainly, I brought, when I wrote on, when I write on economics, I bring my same, the same, uh, reasons, uh, that I do for my policy work in economics and the books I write in economics, right? To try to make things better. Same thing with policy and the same thing with politics. Although politics is <laughs> increasingly difficult to do that these days. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, listen, I've, I've never completely succeeded here in any of this, right? This is what I aspire to, what I try to do. Um, and throughout you in this type, especially when you're debating and discussing the idea of respecting others is critical, right? Uh, just being civilized and having civilized society. Um, and, and you're, that's the way you're going to eventually win people over, right? You're not going to, you're not going to win people over with cheap point, you know, scoring cheap political points and, and yelling and screaming and name calling. You have to guide, you have to teach, um, rather than attack. So that's what I've tried to base my column work and my commentary work in. Um, one of the great benefits, it, it, basically the idea is that, you know, this is a fellow human being that you're, you're discussing things with, and perhaps we should see them for the value that they are and treat them accordingly. Uh, even if they disagree with us hundred percent. Um, and you know, the other thing that, that I benefited from, I, I had a wonderful editor for many years at Newsday where I wrote, wrote a weekly column on Long Island and his, he taught me many things, but one was when you write a column, always offer or try to always offer some sort of solution, right? Because especially when you get into a hot, an issue that's very heated at the time, it's very easy to come across as just criticize the other, the other party and move along. But his point was always offer your solution, right? And bring people to that, make your case as best you can. Um, so again, that's, I see that as a vocation and particularly, you know, I've also been, uh, very fortunate in my column writing and my commentator work to be able to write on theology, on religion. And one of those fascinating things and most joyful things in terms of my writing career is that 
so many people respond when, you know, for example, when I was writing a weekly newspaper column and I would touch on a, a religious topic, a religious topic, a Christian topic, um, I got such wonderful positive feedback because they were so surprised <laughs> to see that in their daily newspaper. So there are all sorts of ways that you can, uh, you know, I've been fortunate to uh, be able to touch people, hopefully in a positive way, but that, that your vocation again is ultimately about serving others. And this is one, you know, I'm never one that says, you know, equate, you know, I'm not equating capitalism with Christianity or anything like that. But what I will say is, um, in terms of a, in terms of all the flawed earthly human systems that we have, free enterprise system works best in terms of guiding and focusing people on doing good for others. Because again, that's the only way you're going to be able to ha have your own success, whether, and whatever your own personal goals are, you know, in terms of supporting your family, uh, providing for retirement, whatever, um, you know, even if, even if it's not such a great impulse, like, you know, oh, I want a big yacht that I can lend a helicopter on. Well, okay. That's, <laughs> it is what it is, but even that impulse you cannot achieve that without serving others first. That's really quite profound, I think. Anyway, all right. So I'm dancing around here. My, my third uh, job, if you will, my third vocation in life has been a novelist. You know, I started writing novels in 2010, the pastor Stephen Grant thrillers and mysteries, and now expanding to the Alliance of St. Michael novels and more coming, uh, more of those coming and, and some new series coming as well. But, you know, what's, what, what's the point here in terms of, you know, what am I doing? The why, right? So I, I want to tell a, a, a good story, an entertaining story, something that engrosses people, um, you know, a, a compelling story, right? I, hopefully with interesting characters, um, characters that readers will care about one way or the other, either they'll like them or hate them, you know, that type of thing. Or maybe they'll, they'll be kind of like, well, they're trying to figure out who this person is, all those types of things. And others in terms of, of interesting characters, um, and, and all the other things that come into a story, you know, good dialogue and, and so on. But along the way, you know, my, my novels tend to be, you know, there's, there are clergy, clergy packed, some might say, <laughs> um, you know, but I'm able to say something via the story and the characters it has to be natural, right? As I've said a billion times, I don't want to hit somebody over the head with a two by four. That's not what these stories are about. But if someone is enjoying a mystery or a thriller or some historical fiction that I've written, and along the way, they come across some issues and thoughts, um, some things that might challenge them just to think about and reflect upon, maybe have conversation with other people about that's something that, yeah, that's part of my reason for doing this. Um, you know, again, with clergy populating my stories, you know, I'm able to, to make points about, you know, matters like faith and grace and justice and redemption, salvation, forgiveness, um, and uh, sin. And, and, <laughs> you know, that's a biggie and, and so on. So again, um, I, I'm blessed in terms of these three vocations, but no matter what you're doing, right? Um, advertising to uh, truck driving, you're serving others. And if you keep that in mind, uh, that's, that's a tremendous way to look at your work, right? 
Um, you know, and when I'm at, listen, we all fall short when I'm at my best, I, you know, understanding how this, you know, I understand or ponder how my work affects others and serves others. Um, that's what, you know, we all do again in a, in a free enterprise system. Uh, but that's what we all more importantly should be doing, um, as Christians in the workplace. Um, so, you know, when we're doing our work, are we, are we serving and focused on, um, the Lord, you know, that Mary Martha thing that Baron wrote about, um, the vocation thing that Veith wrote about, uh, you know, as Christians, we ask, why are we doing our work? Do we understand how our work serves others and thereby serves the Lord, right? Martin Luther put it well, um, his quote, you know, God does not need your good works, but your neighbor does. I've, that's one of my favorite quotes. I slapped it on a mug, in fact. <laughs> um, and that's a good way, I think, to think about the why of work. Thanks for listening. Your feedback and suggestions are always welcome. Um, please check out my various endeavors and books, including the Pastor Stephen Grant Thrillers and Mysteries, uh, The Alliance of St. Michael Novels. First one in that series is out, Cathedral. Um, I also offer uh, the Lutheran Planner, the to-do list solution, if you want to get inspired and organized. Um, and also from my economics end of things, the Weekly Economist series. Uh, quick reads to help you think like an economist. The first two books in that series are out. Um, so all of my books uh, are available at raykeatingonline.com. They'll be signed if you order them over there. Um also, they're at Amazon.com, except for the Lutheran Planner. Everything else is at Amazon.com and paperback and Kindle edition. So please check them all out. Um, I appreciate you listening. I appreciate your feedback. Uh, thanks so much, and God bless. <laughs>